0: Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Kelly Marcus, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are the owner, founder, and chief visionary officer of Hunters Point. And the website nice. for your incredible business is hunterspoint.co. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you, Doug. Thank you so much. It's so great to make some time and and happy to talk to you and uh, and I know that you've been doing a lot too. So it's like thanks for making the time to to get together.
0: I just really re- I, I just really was impressed by our interview in authority magazine and so I thought you'd be perfect for the show. So I'm glad you're here. So let's start up. First of all, you are in a very unusual space. You do massive events. And you—that's pretty much been your whole career, um, and tell,
1: little ones too, and, and little, little ones. I know, yeah. but
0: it's the big ones that are impressive, right?
1: <laughs> a little bit,
0: yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about your backstory.
1: Ooh, uh, so I—well, first off, if you actually looked in my journals when I was in college, I was actually saying things like, "Not like I want to be a, a, an Oscar-winning actress. Uh, that would be lovely, by the way, but." Um, it was things like I want to be an artistic director for a, a regional theater. I always, I I I didn't know enough at that time, but really, I was already speaking myself. And uh, when I graduated from NYU, one of the first things I did, um, and I am not from money, <laughs> um, but I told my my mother that I was like, I have this idea, and I want to start my own film and theater production company. And part of it was. I had seen one business owners had a lot more control and two, it was a way for me to start flexing in things that I was really passionate about, like live performance and film. And uh, some of the things that me and I I got a bunch of other NYU grads uh, uh, and we would collaborate on a variety of different projects. So a lot of off, off Broadway shows, but one of the biggest things that we produced from that was something called the Fat Shorts Film Festival. At the time in the 90s, short films were definitely being made by plenty of uh, filmmakers and also student filmmakers. And they were kind of calling cards, but no, the general public wouldn't see them. So we got a theater and we would make it so that people could pay a $5 fee and see this amazing curated night of, of short films and I adored the fact that with short films it's in some ways just again like another great performance or or theatrical piece where you go on a ride you know you could be watching something that's a horror film to like a documentary to an animation and I loved the audience reaction uh so we produced that for six years and I was doing things like getting sponsorships from HBO and Kodak and Remy Martin and so many more before I ever really knew like uh, everything about sponsors, but that was, that. those are some of the early dabbling before I even really knew that you could make a career doing this. Um, So I did then stumble into the film business because I, thought that I well I definitely needed to be making more money than than the scrappy way I was living. And I was working in independent film and I was working on the film and it was an amazing independent film featuring Christopher Walken and Cindy Lauper. and uh called The Opportunist by an amazing wonderful producer who who was a great mentor, Tim Perel. And um but I when I would go on set and I would witness these amazing performances, you know, it's like cut quiet, moving on. And I'm like, (laughs) no, you can't, you're not doing that. I knew after a while. And I, I definitely was getting Tim and others were like, you've got to check out Kelly. They were opening doors and opportunities. And uh, there was a very big producer who had a huge movie series with a big star and they were looking for um an associate producer and um i turned it all down and i just i actually turned down like making it in the um the, like there were a couple big opportunities i'm not going to say who these people were but lovely some lovely people but um and i went to a headhunter and i was like you know i just i just know that i don't want to keep being in the film industry And she was like, your resume is crazy. She's like, it's kind of all over the place. And she's like, and you do have this production experience. She's like, I have this company. It's kind of a weird company. It's not like a lot of things that we see. And um, that was when she introduced me to, and I did the interview. And that was for my first uh, corporate communications and experiential production company. And they were doing large scale events for companies like IBM, a ton of pharma, and American Express and General Electric. And um, I started out as a coordinator, I was asked, do you want to go into production? And I was like, Nope, because I kind of felt like I already knew it. So I went into creative I chose specifically to go, all right, let me explore sales and let me explore creative under this agency. And I really feel like there were a lot of things there that um, gave me that Swiss army knife to help me see how these pieces go together. Um, But it was also the first time I started to see there was this whole world that you could synergize videos that could move people but then there's the live audience and bringing in um live performers in a variety of ways and then even how you how are you showing hospitality to those guests how are they dining how are how are the you know let's not just make this a coffee break how are you how are you really making that innovative um so that was how i stumbled into this to this world and this this
0: business, and you started Hunters Point a year before COVID. Oh, yeah. MS- but yes, MS- and this clearly, is- I
1: did not have a magic ball. And if <laughs> if you said to, like I, I think this is a really good point that you're making me think. If I knew that, and when I knew that, like if we said you can just do this, but you're going to have this thing, and and something that also doesn't tell you how how it's all going to turn out. It just says there's going to be a global pandemic.
0: <laughs> you
1: think you should take a job?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, venues shut down everywhere, but but you were able to succeed because a lot of your stuff was outside.
1: Yeah. So and, you and were that's, able to get
0: people protected and keep keep separation. And yeah,
1: I mean that, and that's I think such a great point. If I had taken a job, and there were a, pl- I, I when I left Refinery Twenty Nine, I had so many people calling me about opportunities and I'm very flattered, but I also knew I was like, if I don't do this, I'm going to kick myself. And I really was on the fence. And then it was almost like, just do it, you know, and it was just do it. So I started and, um, and I did actually have a project. Um, but, um, and it was a plum one, major, major music talent. Can't tell you who she is. And an immersive experience along with an a, a, a very humanitarian award ceremony. And we were working on it for about two months. And then they were like, oh, the budget's cut. Now this is early in 2019. So it was like they paid all of our fees, but they're like, the whole thing is probably our, our all of our budget for this. And this was a uh, million plus dollar project. Wow. So I thought I was gonna be set. I thought this is a great way to start off. And Probably a great thing that happened because it was like, don't take anything for granted. I was hustling. So I already was hustling in 2019 to replace that work. And by the end of 2019, we have multiple projects going on. I was hiring employees. And we had, and I think I can now say this, and this is this is public enough, is we had been asked to be on a competitive bid for a project for MasterCard. And it was for gorgeous, um, like Times Square and um, really gorgeously designed, thoughtful, uh, something around the International Women's Day. And I felt so honored to even, you know, be at, invited to bid on it. And then with the teammates that we had, we won the bid. And, you know, there was like, okay, some refinement of what's going to happen. And this is going on through the holiday of 2020 into uh the beginning of 2020 and i'm thinking oh yeah we're gonna kill it this year and i'm gonna have some pressure on these and this is this is gonna be spectacular and i was also I, I was traveling we had a trade show event for lv um out at the consumer electronics show so i was at ces in january 2020 when everything broke yeah and Now, mind you, I have this weird little blip on my um, career where I had an opportunity uh, years ago, uh, many years ago, to work at the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative. Hmm. So an international um, NGO dedicated to an affordable, effective vaccine. And I got to be just an assistant to the general counsel and the COO Um, but it was a great opportunity for me to work on a cause, but let's just say, how did I ever know that working at a global NGO on infectious diseases would come in so handy fast forward to this part. So when I heard things like they've shut down the city of Wuhan, I was like, that is, that is not cool. (laughs) That is, that is like, that's like. Big red flag, you know. But I was like, okay, well, we'll see. You know, we'll see the pandemic response. Like I knew the playbook that was supposed to happen, and um, you know, so CES was CES was great. Um, There were other things. I was also in LA that January, uh, working on uh, another conference, and um, yeah, and then we had just won. Uh, something for a launch for a champagne event and then it was like by that time you're in like February March and it was just like
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know I was I teach uh, I teach graduate school at Pepperdine the school of law and uh, that I teach typically a winter intensive over the new year's week and I had three Saudi students from the Los Angeles Saudi consulate sick as dogs turns out they had COVID I'd never been so sick before in my life, and my wife. It was the, that first first week of January. It was crazy.
1: I'm glad you're okay.
0: Oh yeah, I'm big and tough. So, so this is really cool. So, what is it today? Now you're you 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 push through the pandemic. You're growing and growing and growing. What is it that gets you really excited? Get-
1: um, wow. Well, I mean. Let's say this. I'm really excited about how things are right now because the whole thing where they talked about pent up demand, it's there. It's a hundred percent. um I in fact, I have a uh, another uh, colleague um who they approached us about helping them out a little bit with their event and curating some artists inside a a a, a gallery event um, recently in New York and it was, uh, around the AWS summit. So, you know, help them out a little bit, happy to do that. And, um, you know, one of the big things that I've been, and, oh, I should say, so I, I show up, you know, I see rich too, is the artist there, but talking with different people and the exec, uh, VP is talking to me and he's like, thanks again for, for meeting rich. And he's like, you know, we haven't, we haven't seen turnout like this historically and, and getting people to come to our events. And and I, I was like, this is how it's done now. Like, you know, that whole thing about people going to the office and people don't want to be in the office all the time and um, they want to have that balance. Well, this is the thing. It doesn't matter. It seems like what, well, it probably does matter what it is, but so many things I'm going to Events are now where other parts of the business are getting done. People Mm -hmm. don't want to go to do a capabilities presentation in there. It's more like actually come to this gallery and see how we've manifested it Um, or how are we talking about things, but around this. So that, and that's just a little taste of it. So then when you think of um, what's happening in terms of what is coming back, culinary music um it's so and then yeah and then technology engagement
0: it's huge this is so amazing because uh my we we live my wife and i have 10 acres in the central sierra nevada in central california just south of yosemite national park oh beautiful and we got an invitation from the central sierra historical society to they're they're calling it the black kettle cook-off or something and this is going to be up at Shaver Lake, which is up around 6,000 feet, and it's an event. And for for whatever reason, we just decided let's let's give some money to the historical society and go do this event. It's a charitable event, but I would you would just it struck me that you're right. People are not going back to the office, but they still want to socialize. They still want to get together, and if they can find events that resonate with them, they're going to meet other people that are like them, and it gives people like you. in roses, right? (laughs)
1: Humans are social creatures and we want to be together. I swear, even sometimes the like most Hermity person I know, and I know some Hermity people, Mm -hmm. they really, you can see just engaging with people and it's, it's lovely. And then when you add in all these other, like I'm an experiential Like even during the pandemic.
0: I have to explain that a little bit. Yeah. I
1: was just about to say experiential. And that's hilarious too, because like you could say years ago to some people experiential and they're like experimental theater, what, (laughs) you know, they like, I'm like, no, I'm not rolling around on the ground, you know, pretending to like be a mime. Nope. Experiential is working with the senses. And so it's an experiential. Experiential marketing has been that part where, as opposed to out of home marketing, digital marketing, print ads, this is the actual physicality of showing up and experiential marketing is marketing that, bringing it to life through the activities, through designs and through the senses. At Hunter's point, and this is probably, this is because of my theater training, I really double down on the senses. Mm. It's about touch and taste and smell and the feel of things. And during COVID, I remember, because we did not, I, I mean, there was a shutdown. We always had a work from home policy because we're on the road anyway, producing events. Um, but, you know, we were all on Zooms and so much more. And I remember thinking at one point, this is silly. I can't be talking about experiential marketing and live events when I'm flat-screened <laughs> on a on a on this and I was just like, "You know what I did? Was my mother is really into floral um to like her thing is doing floral arrangements. I took all these leftover yeah. silk flowers and I built my own 3D flower wall. So I was like, screw filters. Like that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And people, just even when I would show up for a meeting, suddenly it was like, they would see that and they'd light up. And then we would start doing things where if it was like, okay, let's, let's do a coffee date. We might create a little package that we would ship to people. And then it was like, wait to open until we're for our coffee date. And then you would open it up. And then it was like how you could have your drink and something that you're touching, you're smelling it, you're tasting it. That's experiential.
0: Wow. Okay. So what is it? You've got so much energy. So what is it that's really unique? What is it that's unique about you that you bring to the business?
1: Well, hmm. I mean, for me, I think this, this part, like my love of theater and taking this. And so I had a lot of training in um, Stanislavski's method. Now take everything that you know about method acting. I'm not Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm. I'm not, uh, you know, trying to act out of form. But what I found when I found this synergy between live events, experiential marketing, and this training is that it's the sense memory techniques that Stanislavski was always working with is he was rooting into the truth he was saying that when you're touching something there's nothing you know if i touch this i'm there's there's no denying this right And you smell something, it's rooted in truth. It's real. And yet it's channeling something through you. So it was really important for me and my team to say, how are we rooting this and using these techniques into the work that we're doing? And saying, now we're not just going to make something beautiful and it looks good and it feels good and it smells good. It's how are we now thinking about that from a journey from an attendee? And then using that to channel what's going on to get the positive response. Because I might say to you, fried chicken, and you have like, maybe you're like, I hate fried chicken. It's greasy. It's, you know, like, I just, I, chicken's boring. I think of fried chicken. And I think of my grandmother. And I think of, it start, like, I think of, Sundays and how she would host people like family over and I'm thinking nostalgia and it starts going through that. We take those pieces and then what we do is we design it in such a way that whatever your unique experience is, my unique experiences, we're trying to channel that but what is personal for you and it may be a little bit it's going to be different than what it is for me. So we're trying to get into those details. Because I think there's still a lot of stuff out there and it looks really, really good. But I don't want our things to just look really good. I want at the end for people to go, guess what? We just signed in five new accounts. We just made 120 business connections of exactly the right kind of executive that we were targeting. I want the results to look just as good as how everything came to life. That I think, because a lot of people and a lot of agencies, I think they're great at making things look good. I just don't know if they're doubling down on the results and the goals like we are.
0: So it's interesting that you would use the word journey. So in in all of the events your your thinking is, I want to take the participant on a journey from the time they arrive until the time they leave, and they're going to be a changed person in, the, in this next two or three hours. Is, am I getting that right?
1: That's a bit of it, right. And it might be like, how are we getting them to just subscribe to something? How are they, you know, going to go and they're going to get in their car and they're going to drive to that place and they're going to make a purchase? Or how are they going to like, you know, go home and like become an advocate for something and start to socialize this with their family and friends. There's a lot of different ways that, um, things can manifest in terms of like what the results are, but yes, every, every single engagement is an opportunity to, to really interact with people. And I, I think that that's what I think is unique about live events that, you, you just can't you just can't beat real life. I mean URL is great, but IRL man. feel <laughs> pretty pretty good down here
0: um, So I know the answer to the question. I'm going to ask it anyways because I want to kind of elaborate on it. What's how important is listening in your business?
1: Oh, it's it's essential. So you think back of to um, I talked to about my training, right? So, and I went to conservatory at, at Tisch School of the Arts and, um, what you study? Fu- yeah, I, I Tra- drama, drama, theater, theater. And, um, one of the Meisner techniques, so there were a variety of different techniques, but in Meisner technique, a huge part of it is listening. So, if you've ever seen some actors practicing and they're going, okay, my line is, you know, okay. And they're just trying to like memorize, mm-hmm. right? And then you can almost even see, and this is, I would say, for maybe some some rookies. Um, but in techniques like Meisner, it's almost like letting go. And instead you're not focusing on your lines at all. You're listening to the other person. So one of the things I found was that when I let go of trying to remember my lines and just tried to be so manifested in that character or what we were what we were doing, what am I here to give, get, or do? And focusing and listening to the person I'm opposite, I found that the answers came naturally. The lines came naturally. Mm-hmm. And it's a similar thing, I think, in life. If we're, we have to, hear what it, if somebody's coming in and saying like, all right, our job, what we're coming in to do is we're doing a launch event. Um, our number one thing is to drive PR. And, um, we're also looking for a way to, um, cater to some of our major investors, maybe some of our, um, executives, um, other partner, uh, organizations that we're working with. And I am coming in and I'm like, oh, you're doing a launch event. Well, let me show you actually how big we've done some things where it's got like this really big screen and here's how this, here's how this one, I'm talking all about me and I'm talking all about like, like launch events when really to me, it's an opportunity to be like, okay, let's talk about the media. Okay. Are you, let's dive into that. So I'm taking everything that they're saying and I'm starting to go, let's, let's unpack it. But I'm leading and going off of them. We actually just submitted um, something uh, to a potential new client. And where it, you know, we weren't just saying, hey, thanks for an opportunity for us to show, you know, showcase our work. It was like, we want to make sure that, you know, we plucked out some things because what we heard from you was, you know, the PR is this and you want this and you're looking for this to really cite that out. And also say, if there's anything you feel like you're missing, it's almost coming back and saying, Hey, Doug, I want to make sure what I heard you ask is to make sure that I'm not assuming because we're, we're always having to do, even you and I right now, we're having to do that balance between listening and preparation as well. Right. It's one of the other reasons why it's, One of the things that we often do here, and I learned it from, you know, some amazing people on podcasts where they would say, one of the best things you can do is get two people in the room from your team. Don't go in alone and don't let one person feel like they're the only one at the mic because other people can, well, I might be thinking of what I'm have to present. Other people might be picking up on, look at that body language. Listening is not just even with no. the ears; it's the whole right. body.
0: That's right, that's right. I'm curious. Um, in your business, there's a, probably some pretty high pressure moments and long hours. Yes. How, do, how do you deal with the chaos when people get emotional? They get upset. They get angry. They get frustrated. But you've got to be seeing a lot of that.
1: Yeah. Well, first off, What's I have thing, to.
0: I mean, your clients are the ones that are going to be going the most batshit crazy, probably.
1: You know, it it re- it really varies. Okay. Um it, and and you know what? I don't blame anyone for where they're at.
0: No.
1: Um especially sometimes when you have a big event, a lot of money, a lot of goals at stake, mm-hmm. when we work with a lot of uh corporate and consumer brands, you know, they might be putting a lot uh that you know, a big budget away. So the the pressure is on to deliver. And so I I respect that. Um, I think I will also just say, for me, it's had to come over time. When I look back sometimes at how maybe I, when I was in my 20s, and maybe as a coordinator, and I could kind of look back at myself right now and be like, oh my gosh, Kelly, you were such a princess. You (laughs) really would have annoyed the crap out of me. And- Thank goodness I had such wonderful mentors and other people. So, again, mentorship I think is huge. But first, and this is where I also believe there really is a beauty in being where you're at. Do not ignore the building block years of your career. I genuinely think I'm better at my job now because I learned from my mistakes, but I also learned by having some other great people who were like, but you've got to do it this way. You know, you learn sometimes by observing, but you also <laughs> learn by having people that you trust and that you respect and they respect you, show you the way. So, you know, there's the, um, there's kind of like the emergency, you know, 911 operators, mm-hmm. good producers, good event people on site, need to have that calm in the storm and level-headed. I think one of the best ways to deal with that is preparing. I am not, and no one on our team is one of those, and there's a lot of them out there, bless you for this, But anybody who's in events and are like, events are so dramatic. Well, you know, that last minute and like, it's like, it's cool, but it's like, oh, my gosh, and the craziness of it. I'm like, that's not us. No, that is not us at all. (laughs) That's called bad preparation.
0: Yeah,
1: I would rather work a 22 hour day in order to be prepared.
0: That's right. Right. It's so refreshing to hear that. I'll I'll just tell you a quick story. I, I was a trial lawyer for 22 years, civil trial lawyer. And I prepared for every hour of trial, It was eight hours of preparation. That's, that's how I basically figured it out. But I had partners who procrastinated in all their preparation because they needed the adrenaline rush to overcome the tedium of preparing for trial. I, I couldn't do that. I was so prepared that I had, I had notes on what do I do if something happens and that it, it takes me totally by surprise. What am I going to do if something comes up that I don't even know what to do about it? How am I going to respond to that?
1: Well, let me, let me ask you because it, it, again, that's, there sound like parallels there. When you were going into trial, did you ever feel like this is like, I'm about to run a marathon, but it's mental. It's, you know, and I've got to be nimble on my feet because there are things that could happen here in real time. I mean, I have meant I now mentally prepare. Oh
0: yeah.
1: In addition to, and I even get ready, and you should know this about, I am not a morning person. In (laughs) fact, we have a huge thing. And I I know that like, there's all these things of like, people who are really successful and the morning people and they want their morning to themselves. You know what it is? I'm a night person. And I feel like I can get more done. And I oftentimes feel like I'm more creative at night.
0: And that probably because many of your events are at night. So that's when- So there's be- a,
1: our weekends and exactly. Yeah. So for me, part of that is I've now learned the skill where there's this thing that I just start doing to mentally, emotionally prepare, physically prepare that when it's like, all right, you've got load in, it starts at 11 PM. You're not going to be out of there until 11 AM tomorrow. Wonder. And then you're going to get a four hour break to snooze and then you're gonna come back on site. And then you're doing this, 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 this. Like I've done things where
0: I am
1: I know what's going on for me for, you know, 62 hours straight. And, and that's what's, and I can do it. But part of it too, is I'm going by Wednesday, this will all be over.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's been really great. One more question for you. What's the one thing about you, Kelly, that we wouldn't know about unless you revealed it to us? What's the
1: one thing um, what's the one thing, okay. I am a risk taker. I am a big risk risk taker.
0: Say more about that?
1: I would say, so i and and I've learned. I've learned a lot from it um I did uh, one of the things I did was I created something called the Crown point festival um and i um, i definitely it like it was incredible it was. 22, it was like 222 or 225 artists, some international, um, most in New York city, but some from around the country, 22 nights of straight programming, um, sponsors like Anheuser-Busch, Whole Foods, uh, Nokia. And, um, but I, I used a lot of my own personal money to also, because I believe so much in that. And I lost some of my money. Um, and, uh, and I, there were times I was not eating. Um, I I actually had been a, uh, pescatarian and I went to like, I wasn't eating. And so I was like, you know what, I need to eat something. What would I be excited to eat about? Bacon. I'll eat bacon. So, um, and that's how I became carnivore again. But, um, that I've come to learn, and I don't often talk to people about the risks I take, is that that learning experience, it's good to know that I'm a risk taker, right? Like, you've got, in order to do some bold things, you're going to have to take some risks. And I think this is one of the reasons why I can be a business owner. And I know that even during a pandemic, like, I've, I've learned so much about myself, and I decided, nope, you're not, you're going to keep trying, you're going to give it your all. Um, but I've now over the years, I've also come to learn about how to be educated on those risks. So I'm not falling into something where I'm going to like lose my house or, you know, or, or, or be in that kind of risk. So it's good to still take risks. And I don't think I've talked enough about like the risks that I have taken, but that literally they have, I mean, Crown Point Festival changed my life because it was after that I started becoming. Um, a senior and executive producer in this world.
0: Right. Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Kelly. It's been an absolute marvel talking to you. You are an amazing woman. Thanks. Oh,
1: thank you, Doug. Thank you for your time and uh, for your service that you do by putting out this podcast. It's information for all of us. I love it.
0: Absolutely.